Genesis. The story so far. You'll remember we began uh, near the beginning of the year to look through this particular book. And the first talk I did was an introduction, and I talked about Genesis being a faith book. In the end, I believe it by faith. I don't believe it because somebody proves it to me. I don't believe it. It's not a science book or a history book. It's a faith book. And we mustn't forget that when we hear people talk about Genesis as though it can be disproved by history or science, because it can't be, because ultimately I believe it by faith. Uh, Secondly, I then talked about the fact that the, the God who created the world was a father. And actually that was quite important because... What that meant was before the beginning of the world, what was God doing? He was the Father loving the Son. He wasn't a God who was bored and who just created us for his own entertainment. He created us in order that we can have a relationship with him and that he could love us. That's why he did it. And so um, I felt that was quite a big thing for us because we live in a world where people, don't, people, don't, people struggle with father, fatherhood. Um, <clears throat> and thirdly, I talked about, I then talked about the fact that we were created in his image, all of us. And what that means is that every single one of us has value, that we're valuable to God because we were created by him. So that if you ever think to yourself, oh, I'm rubbish, I'm useless, I'm no good, if you're a Christian and you think those things, that's sinful. That's sinful. Because what you're doing is you're, you're bringing onto yourself an image which is not true of you. If you're a Christian, you're valued, you're created. Well, to be honest, you're valued even if you're not a Christian. But as a Christian, you should know that. Yeah? And the very least you should do is battle those thoughts. I'm rubbish. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm created in his image. Yeah? Because you at least acknowledge that to be true. And then Phil did a couple of weeks around rest um, which, in a sense, God installs very early on in his creating of the world rest, which is like a boundary. It keeps us from burning out. Yeah? So rest is actually really important. Don't, don't idolise work too much. And I know most people don't idolise work, but I'm just saying, don't idolise work too much. And then, also, there was this sense of responsibility. So there's rest, which is a boundary. There's work, which is a responsibility that God gives to us to look after the world that we're in. And then <clears throat> I just want to remind you of some of why we're doing this series. There's, there's a pastoral reason behind this series. I want to encourage us. I want to equip us and I want to inspire us by looking at the first book of the Bible and reminding us of things that God may have said that sometimes we forget. Secondly, I want to bring some clarity to us because we live in a world where there is very little clarity about some of the beginnings. And I've already talked about the fact that in the first few chapters of Genesis, a lot of what we ever deal with in life are there. So I've already said we, talk, we deal with belief, we deal with God, we deal with image, all those things are there. We deal with rest, we deal with work, all of those things are there. Um, and then thirdly, it's about restoration and healing. So we're becoming a people that more and more are willing to go, do you know what, God, I, I need you to change me because I won't change myself, and I can't change myself. And so when I'm preaching through Genesis, there is a a genuine part of it where I'm preaching in a mirror. I'm preaching to myself. Yeah, or probably even more than I'm preaching to you, because I'm like looking at things, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't realise I was like that. Yeah, and so I'm preaching as much 
to myself because I need God to change me as much as you need him to change you. And I'm encouraging us to be that type of people that we don't... Otherwise, if we just sit on knowledge, we get fat. If you don't do anything with the knowledge, if you don't take the knowledge and apply it to your life and do something with it, you just think, oh, I've just gained more knowledge. Yeah, you become in your mind, you just become fat. And so we don't want to do that. We want to be those that um, are responding to God. And so today, the, the story continues into Genesis 2, and we're doing this sort of mini-series around male and female, um, and we're looking at the relationship uh, between male and female, which is all about the design that God had from the beginning. We're looking at the ruin of that relationship, which was the fall and the distortion um, that that brings, and then we're looking at the restoration of that, and really the destiny. And, and those three weeks, we're, our focus is going to be on male and female. And, and I say that knowing that next week, when we look at the fall, it's not just about male and female. Yeah, in fact, the fall is the very reason why we need a saviour and we need to come to God. So our relationship with God is affected by that. But do you know what? There's a little bit where, where I'm not saying we, <clears throat> we know that perfectly, we don't. But the thing that really is impressed upon me at the moment is, is the relationship between, between us, between men and women, people. And that's the thing that the Bible talks into as well. And so next week, <coughs> we're going to look um, into a bit of that. And, and just to try and give you a picture, in a, in a moment, um, Afra's going to come and read uh, the scriptures for us. But just to try and give you a picture of what I'm trying to do in these uh, next three weeks, or particularly today, I've got a big thing about design. Now, not that I'm a designer. I'm, I'm, I can't draw. I can't make things. I can't do anything. Um, but I can do something. I can't design. You know, I can't do. I can't really. I can't do anything. Actually, there's not a lot of things I can. I, can't, I can do. I can't even pretend um, to do stuff. But but God has a design. Yeah, He created the world in a particular way. He gave particular instructions, and and when you when you ignore the design that he has, um, uh, the, that's when you hit problems. And let me just give you some really silly examples. You know, you know if you get a, a, a bottle and you've got a top, and, and sometimes you lose the top of a bottle and, and you find a different bottle top, plastic bottle, like Coke, and sometimes you can get them to fit, yeah? It doesn't fit exactly, but you can, you know, if you twist it a bit harder, you can get it to fit. You can make things fit that actually don't fit. Or you're, in, you're doing a puzzle and, and maybe you, you, you make a piece fit in the puzzle. It's in the wrong place, which means ultimately you're going to get the wrong picture. But you don't know it's in the wrong place. Until ages, you're doing the rest of the puzzle. You think, oh, something's not quite right. Yeah? And th that's what happens when you try and do things that, are, that don't follow the design, or, or maybe, uh, you know, a good one for me anyway is um, I, I, went, I went to football yesterday, I went to see Arsenal, and they were a bit like this, actually, this example. Um, you, you get a team of, of lots and lots of really, really good players, really good individuals, but they don't know what it is to play as a team, yeah? which means that, this, that, that they'll win lots of games because they're like that, but there'll come a point where some teams with less better players will beat them because they know how to play as a team. And playing as a team is recognising that your role is different to the person who's playing next to you. You can't all be the striker. Yeah? As much as you, I, I always want to be, you can't always be the person that's scoring the goals. You can't always say, no, 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 I'm not going to go and go, I'm going to score. 
Yeah? And if we all did that, say, hey, let's play football. No, we don't need a goalie. We'll just all try and score. We'll beat them because we'll score more goals. You, in the end, you'll start losing games that way because that's not how it's set up to be. So there is something about looking at today. We're looking at the design, the order of things. How did God create them? Because surely that's what we want to look for. That's the example for us. So I'm looking at that in relation to male and female. Just two very quick appeals. Yeah? The first appeal is, is to unity. Yeah? I'm appealing to you for unity uh, as a church because we're going to look at some stuff that, that man, it, it can be some hot, you know, hot stuff. Yeah? It can be quite controversial. It gets people annoyed and angry and all that type of stuff. And I, I understand that. and I, I understand that genuinely because diversity and race, similar thing. You know, you're talking about stuff and it can get people really annoyed and, and stuff. And, but our purpose here is not division and strife. Our goal as a local church is to keep building together, moving forward together. Um, we're not trying to score points and win arguments. Yeah? And I'm definitely not trying to do that. I'm not trying to score points or win arguments here. His glory is more expressed in our unity than in anything else. One of the things I learned as I went through the whole process of uh, writing a book on diversity, which, has similar, which can bring about similar history and hurt, one of the things I learned, which was really difficult, was relationships are more important than the issue. And that I, I, I can think diversity and race is the biggest issue in the world, but the truth is I can be a Christian and I can have racist thoughts. I can be. Yeah? Now, if that's true, if it's true that I can actually believe in Jesus and love him and worship him and still think negatively and prejudicially about other, peop other people, this thing can't be the most important thing in the world. And it's exactly the same on the male and female issue. Yeah? It is possible to be a Christian and to have sexist thoughts. It's possible to be a Christian and to have feminist thoughts. It's possible. And if that's possible, then you realize, oh, this thing is not one of those things that determine whether I am saved or not. Yeah? So it's an important issue, and I, I know that to be true, but I do want us to recognize and get the right perspective on it. And I know from the issue of diversity that, man, it can be tense and stuff, um, but I also know that, the, that you can build through those things. So I would say that on that issue, when Pauline and I made a journey in relation to, to stuff around diversity, we didn't think the same. Yeah? We didn't think the same. Um, and in fact, there was more times where Pauline thought what other people thought, not what I thought. And, I, and that was like, how do, we, how do we deal with that? Do you know what we did? We just talked. We talked and we talked and we talked. And I can honestly say that though there were times I thought, I'm married to someone who has thoughts about things that I don't agree with. And these are deep thoughts, and this is a big issue. But, but I can honestly say it did not affect our relationship. It probably deepened our relationship because we didn't allow the issue to become primary. Yeah? Now, I confess that there were other people in the church where I struggled with them and their thoughts and their views. Yeah? And I know that, that it's the same in this type of thing. The other thing I want to make... So that's appeal for unity. Yeah? There, there are things that are bigger than these issues. It's a personal plea that just, it just so happens in the sovereignty of God, I'm leading Beacon right now and that you're in Beacon and that I'm talking about this stuff and I'm both fallen and fallible and I'm not trying to be great here. Yeah? 
Yeah? I'm trying to be helpful for us as a church. I'm not trying to be particularly, I'm not trying to be clever. I'm trying to pastor people and I take that responsibility seriously. I'm not trying to say that everything I say is absolutely correct because some of you won't agree with it. But I'm saying you need to be able to hold out, okay, how important is this issue? To how important is the unity of the church? One of the reasons there are so many churches is because people get to points like this and they go, oh, I don't agree with him, I'm going to go and plant my own thing. And, and I'm like, well, yeah, you could do that, but whether or not that's really the thing to do, rather than talking it out and working it through. Okay, so just all that preamble, got it all out of the way. Um, Afra, why don't you come and read uh, the scripture for us? I'm going to read um, Genesis 2, verses 4 to 7, and then 15 to the end. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and, sh- and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Father, we just pray for your help this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, that you would be with us as, as I speak on this subject. In Jesus' name, amen. This is very much a current issue. Um, Relationships, the roles of men and women, gender issues, they're in the public domain, they're inside the church, and they're outside the church. And uh, that wasn't why we chose to do Genesis, um, but that's the reality. Secondly, it's a confusing issue. It's confusing for uh, guys and girls. It's confusing because as we've moved along in life and um, if you like, particularly the role of women is changing our society um, uh, in, in many, many ways in a, in a, in a good thing. Uh, what that has done is it's left men sometimes really unclear about what their role is. 
Um, I, I was watching a program with um, my girls the other day. It was just like it was a kids' program about these children in a foster home. And uh, they were talking about being fostered and uh, they were going to be fostered by a gay couple. I'm, I'm not so much making a comment on that, but the idea that you could choose to, to, to be involved in that and, and, the, and the, the man or the father or a male figure, there was no relevance. wasn't required. wasn't needed. We can, everything can be fine. And uh, so that confuses guys a little bit, um, particularly as, if guys are like me, you know, you... you it's either got to be clear or you just don't know what you're doing. And then when you don't know what you're doing, you just, you just look like an idiot. You're just like standing around. Um, so it's a confusing issue. It's also a cultural issue. It's become a massively cultural issue um, in a country like ours. And you, and you need to know that it's not as big a cultural issue in other parts of the world. Yeah? There's not as big an issue about male-female relationships and all that type of stuff in other parts of the world. Other, other countries in the world are far more settled and happy in how things are than we are. Even though we actually have far more freedom than a lot of them, they're far more settled uh, and happy. And fourthly, it's a creation issue, which is why I think we have to address it. The, the, the question about the differences between men and women, one of the questions that gets asked is, is that difference, is the order of creation um, is that difference between male and female, is it significant in any way, or is it just physical? Is there anything else to it? Is it just incidental? Is it just cultural? Oh, it's, it's the culture that's made all those differences. They weren't there from the beginning. Are the differences purely physical, or is there something more to it? So we're going to look um, a little bit at those things. And as you know, you know, I'm no, you know, I'm no big academic, so yeah, I've read some books. Um, I've spoken to some people. It's probably fair to say that I've, I've spoken quite a lot on this to uh, Steve and Emma, Emma Gords, and uh, that's been really helpful because I think what I found with Emma was somebody who herself had looked deeply into this issue. Yeah, because you you can talk to some women and they'll think I don't you know I'm not interested, um, but she had looked deeply into this issue and therefore really uh, was able to help me and and challenge me in in, in some of my thinking. So I'm going to ask just a couple of questions. Is the fact that God created man first significant? And if so, how? Is it significant? It says in verse 7, the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. God created man first, and he gave him instructions at that point. Yeah, so some of the instructions that God gave, he just gave to the man. He didn't give them direct to the woman. He does three things when he creates the man. The first thing he does is he puts him in the garden. So there's a point where Adam's in the garden. He's maybe got antelopes and bears running around, and he's just there. He's communing with God. He's just there then at some point, God tells him about some stuff. He says, look, you can, this garden is yours. You can do what you like in this garden, but don't ever eat from that tree. Don't ever eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There is another tree called the tree, um, the tree of life that he could eat from, but this tree, he said, don't ever eat from that tree. And then he gets him to name all the animals, and somehow 
God, how does he do it? God brings the animals to the man. Maybe the man's sitting down. He says, okay, what do you want to call this? I want to call that a beaver. Now, I don't know exactly how that works, so I'm just guessing there. But somehow, Adam names all the animals. And in naming all the animals, it gives him authority over the animals. And in Genesis 1, it talks about the fact that God's instructions to, um, to mankind was to rule the earth and subdue it. That's what God said. Rule the earth and subdue it. In chapter 3, towards the end of chapter 3, you'll find there's a couple of things that happen in chapter 3 when we're talking about the difference. God created the man, then he created the woman. In chapter 3, God holds the man primarily responsible for the fall. Yeah. So he says to Adam, don't ever eat from that tree. Yeah? Eve's not been created then. When they eat from the tree, God says, Adam, Adam. He calls the man to come to him to hold him responsible for what had happened. And then we find later in chapter 3, Adam names Eve. So again, there's a sign of authority there. And the Bible affirms that created order. It doesn't doesn't speak of every individual little bit, but if you go through to the New Testament, you will find that Jesus affirms it in in Matthew 16 when he talks about... No, it's not Matthew 16. I I can't remember where the verse is, but when he talks about... um, He's talking about divorce, and he says, look, God, um, right at the very beginning, God made them male and female. And he describes what we read in Genesis um, 2 verse 23 about you'll leave your, hus- your, your father's house. So God does do some things to the man that he doesn't do initially to the woman. But, but please don't mishear what I'm not saying. But he does do. We, we've got to be honest about that. That's, that's there. Then later, what then is the role of the woman in the creation story as we just read the story? Because the woman, we can say this much. The woman was created by God, not by Adam. Yeah? It's God who creates the woman. Adam doesn't do it. It's God puts Adam to sleep, but it's God who creates the woman. And in Genesis 1.27, God creates the man and the woman in his image. Yeah? Now, that, that has big implications, not just for male and female. That has big implications on race issues, because some people think certain races are more inferior than other races, but actually you read Genesis 1.27, you realise, oh no, God created humankind. So if you are a human, you've been created in his image and you have value. And so, where, and so immediately that cuts across any sort of superiority that you might feel, that one might feel because of their race, because of their gender, because of their education. Actually, God destroys all of that because he says in Genesis 1.27, um, God created mankind. He created male and female and he breathed his life into them. He gives in Genesis 1 we see in summary the same instruction to male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over every living creature. 
So you've got this, that, that, that God says that to male and female. But what he says to Adam, when Adam is called to him and he's naming the, the animals, maybe because he's looking for somebody, yeah, it says no suitable helper was found. Then in verse 22, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, the Hebrew word for helper is a word called ezer, E-Z-E-R, ezer, which, and I've looked different things for this, which it means an essential counterpart, someone who comes alongside, nurtures, and lends strength. Now, I don't know how many of you watch rugby. I sometimes watch rugby. I got home yesterday. So the last 15 minutes, England beat in a French team that are not very good. But the, the, Sorry, Ruth. Sorry. <laughs> but they're not really. And so maybe the victory looks better than it, than it really is. Anyway, what you have in that, in rugby, I'm just going to try and describe this. I know, I'm sorry if I use sporting examples. Um, you have, in rugby, you have a front row and you have a back row. Yeah? And what they are is that the front row is, is often lots of short, very, very stocky men. Yeah? So, so maybe they're about 5 foot 10, but they're about 5 foot 10 wide as well. Yeah? They're, they're really big. Yeah? And then the back row are much taller. So they maybe they're 6 foot 5, and they're 5 foot wide. So you've got really big men at the back and really short men at the front. And the front row, they go into what they call a scrum. And the back row operate like this word, Ezra. They operate like Ezra, which they are an essential counterpart who come alongside and who lend strength. Yeah? So the scrum, you would always lose the scrum if it was just your front row. Yeah? But because of the back row who come in and lend strength and come alongside and who are essential, you will sometimes win scrums. You'll lose scrums, but you'll win scrums. That's what it's describing for the woman. It's describing a helper, an Ezra. It's not describing something that's subservient or something that's, that's simply there to reproduce. It's not to describing that. The Bible doesn't describe women in that way. It describes them as a, as a helper, as an essential counterpart. But the truth is, even in a rugby team, you've got somebody who leads. Yeah? You've got like a captain. You've got somebody who says, no, 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 don't, we're going to do it like this. You've got somebody who plays that role. The distortion of the fall doesn't change the order. And the reason I say that is this. I'll come, I'll come on to that in a moment. So in creation, God brings about order out of chaos. He brings design where there is no design. He puts in roles and responsibilities to what was otherwise random and chaotic. God does some stuff. And for me, the order, the design, the function, and all those things are more than just physical. You see, much of our life follows order, design, and function. Yeah? The fact that we can plug in our, our little projector here means we've got, certain, we've got certain things that fit. But other plugs, we've got loads of plug socket, but they wouldn't fit that. You can't just bring any old thing and say, oh, well, I'll just put these together and see if it works. It doesn't work like that. Life doesn't work like that. But actually, we live in a world where in every other way, we recognize that apart from in our relationships 
and apart from in our morality. In morality and relationships, we say anything goes. Be who you want to be, do what you want to do. But actually, in no, in no other area do you do that. You don't, you don't walk into a house and, and you, know, you don't get the government come to your home and um, you know, all the local council say, build what you want to build, don't worry about safety, don't worry about health, just build it, do what you want to do. Nobody says that. They come with clipboards and bits of paper and they're saying, sign here, sign there. We'll hold you responsible if that goes wrong. Nobody lives like that. We only live like that when it comes to our relationships and our morality. And because we only live on what we see. We don't recognise, oh no, there is more to life than just what I see with my eyes. Yeah. And so... I'm saying that actually God always had an order. He created man. He gave man primary responsibility. That's what I'm saying. He gave him primary responsibility. He holds him to an account in the way that he didn't hold Eve to account. You'll see when we look at the fall next week, when God punishes Eve and he talks about childbirth and your, your desire will be for your husband, do you know what he says to Adam? Cursed is the ground because of you. Not just cursed to you, cursed is the ground because of your actions. He holds him primarily responsible for what goes on. <coughs> now, just moving on in that passage, it then begins to talk about this primary relationship. The marriage team, as I'll put it, is also part of this original creation. Genesis 2, verse 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Right at the very beginning of creation, God develops the most significant relationship that people will have apart from with him, and that is with one another, male and female. I call it a marriage team. They are completely equal, and yet they are different. She is, like this Ezra, the essential counterpart. Len's strength comes alongside. She's, they are essentially equal, yet they are different, because he's been given different responsibility. And those differences are more than just physical. The institute of marriage comes out of that relationship. And it is the most powerful and strong of all relationships. Whole societies are built on marriages. Communities are built on marriages. Now we are moving away from that. We will have to see. We are yet to, we are yet to see whether society can be built on other stuff. Really, we don't know that yet. But we know, put a, a man and a woman together in a marriage and they have children whom they nurture in the order that God puts it, that that has the potential to build massive stuff, to produce amazing things. Don't ever underestimate being a husband or a wife. Don't ever think, oh, well, you know, I've just got married. No, that has potential to, to build things that change the world. It's people that change the world. It's not buildings. Yes, yeah, somebody's put up that, that big tower in London, but that in itself, the tower doesn't mean anything. It's what goes on inside. It's the people that make it. And so in, in, a, in a marriage, in a family, you have huge potential to build things. 
And the truth is, marriages and families, the understanding of that is universal. Yeah? You don't need to be a Christian. And why is it universal? Because it's part of the created order. It's not universal because one day somebody went all around and said, oh, why don't you just connect together? And no, it's universal because it's part of the created order, the raising of children. And as I said, there's no proof that other relationships that we're beginning to see develop have the strength to do that. There's no proof that they have the strength that, that what we've seen going on for generations can happen in the same way. Marriage is mirrored here in the creation story. A man will leave his parents to make a new unit. And I'm just going to try and illustrate this. My love, why don't you just come out here? Yeah, no, come on, come on. And Phil and Affa, why don't, why don't you come out here? So what we're going to do, come on, come on. I'm just going to try and show to you what it means to get married. Yeah? Okay? Okay. Paul, you, you sit down there. Phil and Affa, if you just come... No, I'm not... You know. Here's an opportunity. Okay. Um, okay, so we're, all, we're together. This is my family. Yeah? This is one way you can get married. Pauline, Pauline. Come and join us. Come and join us. Yeah? Pauline now is my wife, and she joins my family. Yeah? But actually, that is not the biblical approach. The biblical approach is this. You can sit down again, my love. If you take Genesis 2 seriously, yeah, and it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Come on, my love. Oh, come on. <laughs> One more. No, 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 let's not have that, let's not have that stuff now. <laughs> and he will cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Yeah? So you can sit down, you can sit down, thank you. The point I'm trying to make, which you might think, oh, that's really not silly, I think is really important, yeah, is when you get married, yeah, you're leaving and you're cleaving. Because if you don't leave and you don't cleave, you leave things very, very fuzzy about the relationships. It is not clear. Yeah? If, if I don't leave and cleave, I may not even take responsibility for my wife. Because I think, do you know what? I've got my parents, I've got all this stuff over here, and she can just join in here. Isn't it great? No, you leave. You step away, you leave, and you cleave, and you start something new. And that's how marriage is supposed to happen. That's what it says right at the very beginning in the Bible. That's what it says. Jesus affirms it. In Mark 6, he says this. But at the beginning of creation, when he's talking about divorce and all that type of stuff, he says, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's interesting that in Jesus' day, he goes back to the beginning to tell people, no, 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 it's not meant to be like that. At the beginning, this is what was said. He goes back there. In Ephesians 5, it tells us, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In some ways, that follows the created order pattern. When you understand that submission is not about being subservient, but it's about this counterpart, but it's about, oh no, he's the primary responsibility. I'm looking at him. I'm holding him account, accountable. So if you're a husband here, the truth is God's holding you accountable. The fact that the culture's moved and it's all about we can be equal and there's no... no. God's holding you accountable. 
So that Ephesians passage, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. So we've no longer just got an example of, oh, back in Genesis in creation, we've actually got an example here in the New Testament where it says, just as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife, his body, the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And let's, not, let's wish there wasn't a full stop there, but there is. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So wives, submit to your husbands. Yes, husbands, love your wives. Yeah? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, so then you have to go, okay, what did Jesus do for the church? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. When I look at what Jesus did for the church and I hear you telling me that that's how a husband should be, I'm like, oh my goodness me. Uh, can we negotiate here? Can we just stick to submission? Can we not read verse 25? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then it describes what happens, and it says in the same way, it repeats it, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves Himself. Now you can see, when you read that, you realise how far away we have moved from what the Bible says, even in the church, how far away. We don't even think that. We think, oh no, I don't believe that anymore. No one believes that. Do you know what? I believe that. Totally. You don't need to be the best husband in the world. You don't need to be, like, you know, the most attractive man. Oh yeah, my wife's always going to love me. You just need to get the order right. That's all you need to do. You just get the order right. Just get the design right. So the relationship order between men and women follows the order of the relationships in the Trinity. So I've talked about Christ loved the church, but it, but it goes on in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. It says, Paul says, now I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. Now you can think, Oh, no, the Trinity, no, Owen, you've missed it. They're all the same. They're all the same in the Trinity. Actually, they're not all the same. Jesus says on more than one occasion, I only never do what I see the Father doing. He doesn't say, I only never do what I want to do because I'm God. No, I only never do what I see the Father doing. What does he say? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yeah? There is never a point in the Bible where the Father submits to the Son. But there are loads of occasions where it's obvious the Son has submitted his will to the Father. John would be a, a prime example in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not your will, not my will, but your will be done. He's not talking to the air at that point. He's not preaching to himself. He's preaching to his Father who is in heaven. Now, let's not confuse 1 Corinthians 11.3 about headship with salvation. What, what do you mean there? So, so does that mean I go through my, my, my husband? To, no, no, because the Bible says in so many other places that if you confess your sin and if you believe in Jesus, you can be saved. Yeah? It even tells you in 1 Corinthians 7 that, that, that you might have the wife of an unbelieving husband. So, so obviously your own relationship with God is perfectly secure in your own relationship with God. 
This is not talking about your salvation. This is just talking about the order of things, the way God set it up. And if we follow the order of things, we have less tension, we have less issue, and it's less likely to break. It's less likely to break. So both the order, the different functions, and, 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 and the equality positions in terms of salvation, they are all affirmed in the New Testament. They're there in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, but they're affirmed in the New Testament. That's why we call it a created, it's a creation issue, male and female. It's not a cultural issue. It begins in Genesis, it's still there in Mark when Jesus talks, it's still there in Ephesians and in 1 Corinthians, it's still there. So why is the order so important? Why is it important for us? Just to say this. The, we live in a world where we're very, very keen to reach the culture. We're very keen to understand the culture. We're very keen to sort of, you know, um, think about the culture and, and to sort of seeker-friendly, all that type of stuff. And I've read all those books and I've been to all those places. Yeah, I, I have. I've, I've, I've done all of that. We want to stay in line with the culture. And obviously, it's really important to be mindful of culture. But if you put culture first, you make a mistake, and it comes with a number of dangers. Our culture being the thing that really pushes and promotes no difference between men and women. Yeah? Now, I'm not talking about whether people should be valued. Of course they should. But, but pushes no difference between men and women, that they're the same, that they're, that they're interchangeable. There's a number of dangers with doing that for the Christian. Firstly, culture is ultimately not trying to be godly. Yeah? It's not trying to be godly. It's not even pretending. Yeah? It's openly saying, we're not interested in God, we're interested in our thing. So we just have to be careful how much we go, oh, yeah, we want to, we want to, we want to, we just have to be a bit careful when we do that because culture is not interested in being godly. Culture is no respecter of faith. In actual fact, it's seeking to do away with faith. It sees faith and religion as something to be denied. Now, culture today that we live in, culture is always changing. Yeah? The culture is not the same now as it was 50 years ago or even 20 years ago. If you follow culture too closely, you'll find yourself making massive compromises as a Christian. If you follow it too closely, if you think, oh, no, it's really important that I can connect, it's more important that you're faithful, yeah? that you're obedient. So why is it so important to put the word of God first? Well, the word remains unchanged. We sang earlier, yesterday, today, and forever, you stay the same, you never change. If that's true, surely that's the one thing you want to hold on to, because it's the one thing that isn't changing. <coughs> If the word of God, if, if, if it's there on an issue and it speaks, ultimately it must be the best option. It must be the best thing to follow what God says, particularly if you believe that God created the world and he created you and he created me. When we sin in design issues, like male, female, so there's a difference here. There's, there's sin that I carry out, you know, I go and I steal that cup. Yeah? But when I sin in design issues, that's an issue of pride, and the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. I'm just, okay, let me wrap up very quickly. I can't do my other illustration. 
So you need to be careful about what, when you sin, because sometimes we sin because we're weak and fallible. Sometimes we sin blatantly, deliberately. The Tower of Babel was a blatant, deliberate sin. What does God do? He opposes that. Adam and Eve, what does he do? He opposes that. There are some sins he will oppose. There are other sins God will allow you to live with the consequences of your actions. You commit adultery, God will allow you to live with the consequences of your actions. You try and set yourself up as God, he will oppose you. Yeah? You need to understand that. God is gracious and merciful, but if you start trying to set yourself up, be idolatrous and all that type of stuff, he will oppose you because he opposes the proud, the Bible tells us. The Bible is clear, and when we seek to read it differently to its most obvious or natural meaning, we create confusion rather than clarity. We actually bring bondage rather than freedom. The very thing we think we're doing, we're not doing. We're doing the opposite of it. So just summary, the very beginning, we have this picture of God creating the world, creating male and female to rule and have dominion, giving man the primary responsibility for that, in that relationship, bringing in, instituting marriage right at the very beginning, the, the, the relationship, the one relationship that you'll ever find that you can build something on, if you, ma if you marry well and you marry right. It's now important for us to hold on to that, to become clear about that, even though our culture does not. One day our culture may turn. Yeah? One day many people may turn back to God. It would be shame if the God they turn back to we're very confused about. We've become confused about in our effort to be like them. I'm just going to pray at the end and so... Yeah, why don't we just uh, really just, just have a moment, just close our eyes. I'm just going to pray, really. There might be other opportunities for us to respond. But, but I know from the issue of diversity and racism how much healing and restoration is required for people who have struggled for whatever reason on this particular subject. And yet I also know from that same issue how few people really approach the throne of grace with confidence to find mercy and grace in their time of need. I know that. Most people just live with their hurt and they bury it sufficiently deeply that they don't notice it day to day. It may come out in an attitude or in a response, in a comment, but they don't notice it. But I'm a great believer that God wants to restore people. Not just back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, but to the destiny that we have in Christ. Yeah? Because we don't now look at the beginning. We don't go back to the beginning to find out, oh, our best example is there. Our best example is what we read in places like Ephesians 5, where it now says, marriage, husband and wife, Christ and the church. That's the example. That's what we look to. So over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure there'll be opportunities for us to, us to pray. Right now, I'm just going to pray. And uh, if you want to talk to me, then I'm more than happy to do that. If you need to talk to God, I'd suggest you do that. Maybe find somebody to talk with. 
as well. So let's just pray. Father, um, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, I want to thank you for uh, the Bible, the word of God. Thank you for its instruction. Thank you for its clarity. And I just pray, Father, that if there are, there are any here who uh, maybe need to make some adjustments, maybe in their thinking, maybe in their own situation, whereby they begin to take much more of your approach to things. I, I pray, God, you'll give people um, what they need to do that, whether that's the courage or whether that's uh, further help. Uh, I pray you'll give them that. I pray also, God, that if there are any here who need to repent because of attitudes that they've held, uh, I pray that they'll do that as well. I pray that they'll get themselves sorted with you and before you. And Father, I pray for each one of us as we go. Uh, Father, I ask that each of us would know the hand of your Holy Spirit upon us throughout this week and all that we do. I pray whether we are at work or we're at home, whether we're with friends or we're with colleagues, God, I pray that we would know the Holy Spirit at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.